Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him a multitude who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Welcome to the Gospel According to Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. The world is following the dragon, so what are God's people to do? Follow the Lamb. In this episode, Ryan and Mike consider the inspiring scenes of victory that God gives to his children caught in the middle of war and suffering. So today we're going to be in Revelation 14 and 15, which really finishes this segment of Revelation from Revelation 12 through 15. What we've seen so far, Mike, is Revelation 12 and 13 are really telling the backstory to these villains. We have these villains that are set up in Revelation 1 through 11 who are working against God's eternal purposes. And then we learn in Revelation 12 and 13 some of the backstory of what's going on. Today, as we get into 14 and 15, we're going to get back into the cycles of Mm -hmm. war, judgment, victory. So go ahead and take us into chapter 14. Why does this follow chapter 13? What's going on here? Yeah. So let's let's sort of step into that that backstory just a second. Again, think about the dragon that we are introduced to in chapter 12, and he wants to devour the child, and he's unsuccessful, and so he's enraged and wants to persecute the woman, and he's unsuccessful, and so in this great wrath, he wants to make war against the rest of her children, right? That's queuing up this war we've been talking about all along. And then we're introduced to the the allies that the dragon has, his forces that he has brought forth to to wage this war, the sea beast and the earth beast, this this violent royal military power. And then you've got the 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 earth beast who deceives and who uh, uh, forces and 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 pressures and does all this this sort of stuff, this propaganda machine. Sure. And and so realizing that here is this incredible pressure that the saints are facing, right? This 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 hostile force that is that is seeking to to overcome and overwhelm and to to either kill or to 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 bring allegiance to to the the beast rather than the lamb and so it seems like if we just stop there here is this impossible situation that we cannot win that there's that we have no choice but to give into and yet the scene shifts when we get to chapter 14 yeah, and Thanks. if I can kind of make personal application here with me, sure. yeah. I can remember there was one week at Purdue when RIFRA was going through the state legislature, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, mm-hmm. and Governor Pence had sent it to the legislature, and he was about to sign it, and it essentially was arguing for religious protection, but then, of course, you imagine and you remember there was a huge battle between the um, LGBT movement and the church. <laughs> Mm-hmm. within 12 hours of that going to the legislature, every single institution at Purdue came out against it and went a step further, was really tied with condemnations of any religious conviction that would go against their view of sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. I-, I felt like I was alone in a department in a building of up to a thousand people, you know, I can remember at that moment, it was, it was a really rough week. I mean, it was a really emotionally trying week um, because it felt like everything else in the world was going against the gospel of God mm-hmm. and against the will of God for his creatures. 
and the mark of the beast was just overwhelming. What do you do in the midst of circumstances like that? Mm-hmm. Whenever it feels like the dragon is winning, and when it feels like the world is inevitable, what do you do? And I think it's that type of reading that we need to approach Revelation 14 with. Yeah, absolutely. It's understanding when the odds are against us, and when it feels like God isn't going to win, this then takes us into Revelation 14. Yeah, that's exactly right. So with that overwhelming pressure to conform, then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his name, the name of his Father, written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like that of harpists playing on their harps, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who'd been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who've not defiled with women or have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. And so we've seen the villains, we've seen the enemies on, on that side of the war. Now we see the Lamb and His followers described here in the first five verses of chapter 14. And even the language of 144,000 draws us back to the first interlude in chapter 7, and the census that was taken, the people of God, using that symbolic number, same, same idea. It's not a literal 144,000, but it's a, it's a symbolic number of, of the people who are God's people. But I, I, I want to maybe just highlight two things here, right? Here are these beasts with all their ferocity and violence and terror and horror, and yet here's the Lamb. Absolutely. Right? Amen. And we've, and we've already seen the lamb is victorious, the lamb is the conqueror, and here's the lamb and those who are with him. And that, that idea, with him. And then the, the other thing I want to point out is, is closer down to the end of verse 4. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes, right? In Revelation, where does the lamb go, and what does it mean to follow him, right? We, well, we go back to chapter 5. Here's this conquering lion from the tribe of Judah, yet he's standing as slain. And then we go back to chapter 12, and we see this, this male child who's to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Well, how did he come to power? How did he win the war? Again, through his death on the cross. And so what does it mean to follow the Lamb? It means to follow Him on that same path of profound humility and surrender and uh, self-giving sure. of, of love, Right. And so realize as, as, we're, as we're engaging in this war, the weapons of our warfare are not the same ones that, that we've been passed down from generation to generation following the way of the world and the way of the dragon, right? Through violence and through um, pride and through self-exaltation and putting others down and injustice and all that. Our, our, our way of engaging in this war is the way of the Sermon on the Mount, to sum it Amen. up in a sentence. Yes. You know? Yes, yes. You know, N.T. Wright says many times over that when God wants to win the victory, he doesn't send in the, the tanks. He sends in the poor in spirit, the mournful. And, and, and whenever you look at that beatitude form of living, that's cross-type living. Yeah, where exactly. Where we are no longer seeking victory mm-hmm. by the ways of the world, because that's not what Jesus did. That's right. Jesus could have come with the might of 10,000 angels mm-hmm. slaying the world for all the injustice that was on God's good earth. That's not what he did. He yeah. shed of his own blood for us, refused to play by the adversary's rules, 
and died under his hand and through the righteousness of God defeated him. And and, and that same type, sacrificial, loving righteousness that Jesus embodied, each of us are then invited to live out. Absolutely. And, And I think for me, Mike, you know, when I think back to difficult times like that week I just mentioned, it is so easy to give in to retribution and yes. anger and mm-hmm. hate at mm-hmm. the other side. Absolutely. When I have to recognize this isn't about human divisions and human sides. Mm-hmm. This is about yeah. who is with the Lamb. That's right. Yeah. And that's the question that each of us mm-hmm. really have to ask in our own lives. Yeah. Am I with the Lamb? Yeah, exactly. Because we want to fight back, right? And so what does that what does Absolutely. that fight back look like? Well, if it's if it's the it way it looks like of American Jesus, politics. I it, mean, seriously. Well, right. I mean, it, it, just to be candid. I mean, it looks like American politics because my, my you know, as someone who who was very political at that point in my life, um, the last four years have changed me a lot. Um, but you know, at that point in my life, I, I thought the right answer was fight back. You know, mm-hmm. if the left wants to do something, the right has to do something. And then I knew if the right does something, the left wants to do something. But that retributive process is not what Jesus did. That's right. Period. It's not what Jesus did. And that retribution is what Revelation is calling for God's people not to do. I think it's so interesting if you look back to chapter 13, it says in verse 8, everyone who dwells on the earth will worship, but everyone whose name has not been written in the foundation of the world, in the book of life, the Lamb will slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call from the endurance and faithfulness yes. of the saints. That's right. Be faithful to the Lamb. Yes. Don't follow the way of the dragon. Do not seek your own way. Do not seek retribution. Seek the restorative justice of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's, let's step back and see this section as a whole then. Uh, I, I think it's really important that we feel that point, right? Absolutely. Feel the pressure yeah. of the dragon, feel the pressure of the beast, and yet see the lamb and make sure that no matter what, that we engage in this war following him. Well, if we look at this section as a whole, this whole section in 12 through 15 is, is again, narrating this war, narrating this whole pattern that we've looked at, war, judgment, kingdom, but it's tracing this thread of the victory of the saints, right? And so we see in chapter 12, we've got the, um, the dragon and, and, and the origins of the war. In chapter 13, we see the, the enemies in the war and, and how they wage war against the saints. The beginning of chapter 14, we see the lamb and his followers and his followers following him wherever he goes. And then we see a few more episodes. Um, chapter 14, verses 6 through 13, we see these three angel announcements proclaiming an eternal gospel and proclaiming the defeat and the judgment of these enemies of God and these enemies of God's people. And then in chapter 14, verses 14 through the end of the chapter, we see two pictures of this judgment that's to come upon them. And it uses apocalyptic language, right? As we said, which is intense, which is graphic, which is visceral, which is, has an epic cosmic scale. And so it uses all this language, and it's and it's if... Uh, uh, responding in kind, so to speak, to the, the, the horror of the beast. But then we come to chapter 15, and it introduces the next section that we'll get into next time with these, these bowls of wrath. But before it fully takes off into that section, it sort of buttons up and, and adds some conclusion to what we've seen regarding this war. 
And so we've seen, again, the, the origins of the war. We've seen the enemies in the war in chapter 13. We've seen our side in the war, the lamb and his followers. Then we see this, this gospel that's going out. We see this judgment that comes. And now we're going to see the saints on the other side of that, that victory. You want to read chapter 15, verses 2 through 4? Absolutely. Yeah. Before I do that, can I make just a couple of supplemental comments to the sure, structure? Mike? You know, yeah. you've really helped me to see the structure of this. When you look at Revelation 12 through 15, there are really seven different statements of then I saw, then I looked, etc. I'll have Brian Walker put these in the show notes for, mm-hmm. for easy access. But it seems that there's this another cycle of seven here yeah. that is welcoming us to see even whenever the dragon is pursuing God's people, even whenever the beast is following and is waging war, those who follow the Lamb will be victorious. And it's leading us up to, you know, we've talked about Revelation has this prologue plus three ver- uh, story of yeah. ascension. Structure. Yeah, narrative yeah, structure. Yeah. Structure, right? Of war, judgment, victory. And here you see the same thing going on. In 12 and 13, you see this war. In 14, you see the judgment of God given, and now as you get into 15, you see the victory. So that same type structure that we've already seen played out a few times over in Revelation comes right back. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, you get to the victory scene of chapter 15, and it says in verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who'd conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and will glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come to you and worship you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. So it's important that we see this part of the story, too, because, again, man, in the midst of the war, it seems so overwhelming, and we want to give up. We want to give in. We want to conform. We want to quit, right? It's exhausting, and it's terrifying. Um, but it's important to see, here's how the story ends. Right. Right? Here is the victory on the other side of the battle, on the other side of the war, Um and we're singing, and, and, and we're standing in God's presence, rejoicing, and just in awe of Him. It's great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? You alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That righteousness and justice of God that He has been promising from from the prophets, right? He's finally finished it. He's finally fulfilled yes. it. He's, he's brought it in Jesus, but he's fully brought it at the return of Jesus and the judgment when evil is dealt with and, and his people are brought to him and, and are given his kingdom, given that reign that he's purposed from creation. Um, and it's all joy and peace and praise. It is. My favorite phrase here comes in chapter 15 verse 3 
the Song of Moses. Mm-hmm. Now, Deuteronomy 31 ends the life of Moses with the Song of Moses, yeah. which is likewise beautiful and inspiring mm-hmm. to read. But I think what you see this allusion to in 15.3 is reminding us this is the people of God who have passed through the Red Sea, mm-hmm. who have been redeemed, who have overcome the forces of darkness, who have followed him into the wilderness like the woman, and even when temptation and testing has come and war and pain and strife have come, those who follow the Lamb, those who follow God, are victorious because the Passover Lamb has been slain for us. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the victory that we're to be waiting for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, I love the, the song in Exodus 15 as well, right, where it's celebrating God's victory, and the the final line in Exodus in that song in Exodus fifteen is about the reign of God and the yes, kingship of God, and that's exactly what we see happening here in Revelation. It is. You have a people who have been enslaved to a bestial power, mm-hmm. enslaved to the way of, which is interesting, enslaved to the way of Egypt, which, as I said, it's really interesting because when you look at the servant songs of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. It's described as a sea dragon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you have a sea dragon, uh, their mm-hmm. descriptive of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And now you have this dragon that has been defeated and God's people have been redeemed. So, Mike, Absolutely. let's make this practical. What do you say to the Christian who feels like the world is overwhelming them? What do you say to the Christian who feels like their family, their friends, everyone else is against them? Where does Revelation 14 and 15 speak to our lives? Fix your eyes on the Lamb, follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Understand that that it looked like He was being defeated, but in His seeming defeat, He gained overwhelming victory, um, and and we follow Him on that same path. We echo the same story. We live out the same story. Fix your eyes on the Lamb, follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and whatever you do, don't give up. Yeah, and I think that's a great way really to end this section, unless you had something else you wanted to no. say. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at Revelation 12 and 13, you have these nightmarish creatures, but yet Revelation 14 and 15 come in with such apocalyptic strength mm-hmm. calling us, endure, yeah. follow the Lamb, don't give in to the ways of the world, don't be defiled, follow the Lamb. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According To podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Next time, Revelation 16 unveils another cycle of God's judgment, this time in the form of seven bowls. Yet how should we feel about the wrath of God? This chapter teaches us of a God whose wrath comes wrapped in purpose and mercy. Don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media. Until next time, and for all time. Your God reigns.